0: Closer than breath in my lungs I Existing in your eyes You come in close, close like the sky to the sunrise Crashing through darkness to bring me to your light Emmanuel Whenever I hide you will always go seeking Ready or not hear you come in to meet me You fight for my heart and you give me the victory Emmanuel Good evening, everybody, and
1: welcome to a very special new episode of Ignite Radio Live.
2: Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio,
1: you are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter and a little bit of Joseph Schleter in the background It's it kind of moving, Stephanie? We've had many awesome musician worship leaders intro our music and our Family Road Trip podcast, a good number of musicians, and how awesome to be playing what was just released, Joseph's next song,
2: very moving. Some parental pride, but also just God's faithfulness and goodness through um, the gift that he has given Joseph and how Joseph is returning it to him. So, um, so yeah, the name of the song is No Distance. Um,
1: Emmanuel. And if you want to hear this song, you can go anywhere. Music is heard. Spotify, Google Play, uh, uh, hi- iTunes, YouTube is. If you don't have any accounts for things, everybody can access YouTube. Again, look up Seth Schleter, Which, go ahead, Steph.
2: <laughs> I kind of joke and kind of jab him about that name choice with great love, because I say he's trying to honor me, but he misspelled my name. He <laughs> forgot the T, but it's the obviously the second syllable of. Joseph. So, So Seth Schleeder. S-E-P-H.
1: Yeah, beautiful song. And obviously, uh, No Distance Emmanuel. Some may think A theme for Christmas, but absolutely, God is with us, Emmanuel. We anticipate the second coming of Christ, which is this journey we're in right now to receive that grace outpoured in the Holy Spirit. And we ought to live in an Emmanuel mindset. I'm so blessed at the number of friends and family and folks who've even communicated with me from various quarters throughout the country about how the song has blessed them. So, yes, a little bit of pride, but I think even more just at how he is down there at Damascus, really in an incubator at a place. Uh, where young adults are really of, um, communicating the gospel in the fullness of the catholic faith leading people to a fuller encounter with christ I, th- I believe it's the largest catholic evangelization campus on the planet and growing we're kindred with them you've heard their story uh... dan Dematte and Aaron richards and our guests tonight are even connected to this with their beautiful daughter mary sarah beautiful and uh... Mary we sarah. will now introduce um... before i actually have to get this commercial out and then we'll get to our wonderful guests who are here with us tonight so folks we're looking at a week away, Shrove Tuesday. Can you believe it? Wow. It's next wow. Tuesday, Shrove Tuesday. Mardi and uh, puts us on the eve. And I want to ask the question, how different are you? How different is your marriage? How different is your family as a result of the commitments that you made last year? It's a good question worth asking. And if if you feel like maybe a little bit spiritually, of course, closer to God, but if there's nothing really tangible, for instance, if you don't feel like you're praying more and more intimately to God and with your spouse, if your culture in your home is no more vibrant, we invite you to say yes, to lean into it, lean into the awkwardness, the reservation, the fears, the doubts to make your home all the more that place of encounter. How, I'm glad you asked. Check out ilovemyfamily.us, you can't forget that, right? I love my family, it's awesome to say, just say it wherever you're at right now. I ilovemyfamily.us and scroll down a little bit and you'll see the seven week Lenten challenge. Basically, we're challenging you to bring your family together for no more than 45 minutes, it may go longer than that because you'll be addicted immediately when you set that atmosphere, that environment, Easy to use, live at Gathering Guide to do this. And, And trust me, those who are doing this, they're as busy as you with big families, a lot of kids, a lot of activities. But they recognize we have more than 30 hours of discretionary time. Again, ask yourself the question, based upon last week, how much closer are you to God based upon how you chose to spend that time God gave you? It's a chance for parents to say, we're going to put that flag in the sand. We want to receive that grace more than just going through the motions, but an atmosphere, an encounter. Yeah, you got to break through the ice, but others are doing it. So you find out how to do that. You'll unite with us in doing it. Please do that. As you're listening to me now, go to I Us. scroll down and join us for the seven-week Family Lenten challenge. So to our dear guests, um,
2: Joseph and Christy Mankhouse. A little bit of a drum roll there, yeah, Gregory. Awesome.
1: So they're a beautiful family with eight kids. They live in the Cleveland area. Joe and Christy and the Schleters go way back. We are woven into each other's lives for decades now. Man, that makes us sound old. They're <laughs> young. Okay. I'm old. But for decades, we've been blessed before they're even dating to know them. Joe and I in the campus of Miami of Ohio, deeply immersed in pro-life activity and the, the journey of faith, the seeking, which we all know never ends, but to be blessed in the fundamental questions. Joe is a brother in Christ. And Chris. Misty, then, at uh, the University of Steubenville, very involved with the um, many different wonderful things, pro-life and evangelization, as everybody knows about that campus. So as they tell their story, uh, we play a little bit of a role in be a facilitating connection, but the main thing right now for them, Joe, is uh, works for EnviroServe. He's a top cog in that wheel, but he's also the executive vice president for the Apostolate for Family Consecration. So, as executive vice vice president, I want to ask him if he uh, if that means his kids get cushy jobs at other um, Catholic. <laughs> Organization's bad political joke. Forget that. Um, so, anyways, we are so blessed to have them in a dialogue with the Menk houses here tonight on Ignite Radio Live for you to hear their wonderful journey and uh, just kindred with them in this mission of imaging the Trinity, which we are—it's our unsurpassed identity. So, hear that tonight. Hear God saying to you and me that we are of the fashion of the Trinity. The fabric of love meant to experience that all the more fully in marriage and family for it to overflow to the world. That's the thesis of our lives, and we share that with them. So, Steph, you get to cue them.
2: The cue, as we love to proclaim, is Revelations 12, verse 11. They defeated the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, our Holy Mass, what a gift, and by the word of their testimony. Gosh, what grace pours forth through One, sharing his or her story, because the Lord is always interwoven into it, regardless of how big or little it may seem, the Lord's grace is mighty and powerful in those everyday, ordinary, which are really extraordinary moments. So, Joe and Christy, whichever one of you would love to go first, um, why don't you give us a little bit of your background? Oh, my goodness. Thank
3: you, guys so much it is such a grace to have the opportunity to share with the two of you after all these years awesome. um your hearts are just so beautiful thank you and um, right back to you you know when i think about when i think about the the, the amount of effort and, and the um, trials and tribulations that um that i know you both have gone through to continue to serve the lord and, mm-hmm. and it's just so beautiful
0: Mm-hmm. Um, to
3: see everything that's happening now. Um, right here in our state of Ohio, for, for uh, as an example, um, mm-hmm. with the apostolate, with Mass Impact, with Damascus, but, um, yes.
1: mm-hmm. you know,
3: the time for the family to, to rise up again as a force mm-hmm. for good in the church and in the amen. world. It's a beautiful
2: thing. Amen, amen. And,
3: um, you know, um, my head is already spinning because you've, You've traversed a long way around, um, going all the way back to the university life and college and everything else. Um, I guess my story begins, you know, I was raised a cradle Catholic um, back in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is a very um, faithful town, Mm -hmm. and um, grew up um, at St. Lawrence in Price Hill, went to Elder High School. My father was a teacher there, a football coach, and um, really had everything... I needed to be formed in the faith, and went off to college and um, fell away from my faith for a little while. And um, on my way back around um, to straightening myself out, I, I ran into uh, to Greg, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we ended up on a bus together on the way to the March for Life. I don't know if you remember this, Greg. We, we were on a bus together all the way up to Washington, D.C. for the 1990s. March for Life, mm-hmm. I think it was January of 90, and um, it was at that time that I received an invitation from him to go on a retreat up in Cleveland. I still was living in, in the Cincinnati area, going to Miami University, um, but managed to find myself in a in a small car going all the way up to Cleveland in the winter for a Team's Encounter Christ retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I really didn't Know what I was getting into. It turned out to be one of the most powerful experiences of my life. Mm. In fact, to the point where I'm still involved with that organization to this day. How many years later is that? Some 30 plus years later. Um, So, anyway, um, once uh, I got on the tech. Uh, boat, they say uh, It's ship <laughs> With a billowed, billowed sail, sail. <laughs> Shall we sing it? <laughs> once I got on that ship I stayed on for a little while And, and then I met uh, The woman who was to become my future wife On one of the retreats that I was on the team And uh, that changed The entire future of my life I uh, Once once we got to know each other And began to, to visit with each other And we would travel across the state. I was going to Miami, which is, if you're familiar with Ohio, is on the far western extreme Mm -hmm. of the state, and then the Franciscan University of Steubenville, which you mentioned, is on the extreme eastern side of the state. But Mm -hmm. uh, we liked each other enough; we started driving back and forth to visit. And um, let me pause you
1: pause you on that journey because yeah. I want to get the they meet moment because I want to get the male female responses but if you don't mind we're going to back <laughs> up a little bit but I do have to get this in as you were speaking I can picture Christy whom I knew well and she already as you know had a glow Has always had a glow about her but it was that particular glow that happened after meeting you and as, once you started dating I just have to get this out in case I forget it later just she said I just can't wait to have little red headed babies <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes I did say that Which is... that was definitely something I look forward to. which
1: is amazing and contrary to culture in its view of things but we're, we're getting too far ahead of ourselves so Joe you came yes. from a Catholic family um, you had the context of formation if you don't mind what do you recall were the circumstances of your falling away from the faith and then maybe uh, some sense of really coming back what were what was going on what were the influences? Connect with those people who may be listening, just turned over from Led Zeppelin, landed right here and now, and they want to hear what this guy said, who left the Catholic faith because it was what, and tell us. Okay. Well,
3: I I was at a talk recently where Dan Demet, who you mentioned earlier, made the point that most people, uh, in their heart at least, leave the Church when they're about 13 years old. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, they're not leaving because
3: of scandal, they're not leaving because of, you know, political issues. They're leaving because it doesn't feel right, and I did have an experience with um, a person who was, um, let's call them a teacher, who uh, criticized me at the wrong moment, and my heart was broken uh, in about eighth grade, and from that point on, I I fell further and further away because I didn't feel personally uh, welcomed into the church, and when I finally got to college, um, I was able to make the decisions on my own and stop going to daily to uh, Sunday mass, and um, so it was a it was really a broken heart
2: mm-hmm.
3: at one point in my in my adolescence that took me away from the church.
2: The power turns of words.
3: out after a year of college, searching, looking, trying to figure out where I was going to find myself. That I realized that these people who called themselves Christians who were hanging around. They didn't have any agenda for me. Mm -hmm. They were loving me. They weren't trying to beat me over the head with anything. I said, I kind of like what these people have, and I was drawn to them. Mm -hmm. And I finally said, what is it that you have? And they explained to me that it was Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And that that set me on the journey back to my roots of the Catholic faith after a number of stops along the way to explore the um, evangelical Mm -hmm. church and uh, some, some really had some blessed, grace-filled moments on the journey, on the way back. Um, but there were, there were unique individuals who didn't do anything except love. Mm-hmm. And then when I found out what the source of the love was, it was an easy call to say, you know what? Mm-hmm. My parents, they weren't crazy, and they taught me some good stuff. They didn't always feel the greatest. You know how right. the Catholic mm-hmm. Church was in the 70s and the 80s. Um, you know, it was more about... Um, you know, there was a lot of, uh, of unclarity. It was yeah. very difficult to know the truth mm-hmm. um, back in the in the days that, that, that we were adolescents. Let's say mm-hmm. in the late seventies and early eighties, and um, so gotcha. by the time by the time I was in college and could discern some of the truths um, and and uh, get into some of the basic theology of why we believe what we believe. Um, that time, um, I-, I was actually able to make some smarter decisions,
1: and I was really blessed by people who God put around me, and people such as yourself mm. so joe what 's intriguing number one, I want to punctuate a key theme for all of us, and that is that you experienced God through others in a non judgmental atmosphere, which isn 't to say without an awareness of objective truths, and all that is to say that people loved you and engaged in conversation. And I distinctly remember long hours with you and the many of the people that we were blessed to be around of just exploring and asking questions and interacting. And on a secular campus, I have to say this too, love Steubenville, right? Love Damascus, love these places that are robust in their identity and mission. For me anyways, Joe, there was something about A strong taste of the secular that I found very refreshing, that I found invigorating, that I found that people are still created in God's image. We believe that. And that they're hungry until, as Augustine said, their hearts rest in him. And you and I really, you know, our vision was honed to see the human person, particularly in an impoverished atmosphere like that, and asking those questions. And it was such, to me, a reinforcement of how true and real God is is the answer, is the supply to those questions, and that you were kind of iconic of that as you kind of share because you came kind of from that place of real poverty to opening the door, encountering God, the love of God. Was there a particular moment that you recall, Joe, where it was like, "Yes, you know, I, I, uh, this is truth." And and what was that experience, or describe for us what that return was like? Obviously, tech and all of that, I get that, but was there more besides oh, yeah. tech? You know what, I, I can tell you that
3: there was a moment, and if you've been on a, an Ohio college campus, particularly Miami's campus or maybe an Ohio University in the fall, you can, you can visualize what I'm talking about. I recall walking through the campus in the fall mm. and looking around, and I was so, you know, tense all the time because I was depending upon myself mm. for everything, and I, I just kept looking around, looking for answers. And I realized that my fists were clenched, mm, you know, like, like um, rocks, you know? I was holding on so tight, Greg. Mm. I was holding on. And as I walked through the campus, the leaves were just gliding off the trees. Mm. And I looked around at all the beauty and all the colors, and I, I realized that here these trees were letting go of their fruit. Beautiful. They were just letting it go. Mm-hmm. For, and, and they were dying, in a sense. They're letting go of their fruit, and they're dying. The leaves are falling down, and, and yet they are coming back to life in the spring.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: They're dying, but they're coming back to life. And I realized that if I was going to hold on to my own strength and my own will all the time, I was going to be like the tree that never let, let go of its mm-hmm. leaves. I was going to be stunted.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I was going to be like the bed sea, where the water goes in, but it never comes out, and then all, this, mm-hmm. all, this sal- all the salt, the salination stays in the ocean, it becomes dead. And that's what I was doing to myself. I wasn't letting go and letting God. Mm -hmm. That was the moment I realized that my Catholic faith was 100% correct, Mm -hmm. that every time you go to the Mass, you lay your life down on the altar to be sacrificed, and yet even though you're dying, the source of all life, all love, comes in its place. Beautiful. And you are empowered and in. And you're, you're given an eternal life as a result of it, even though you're dying. It's the great mystery, the great deep mystery of a seed shall fall to the ground and die, and yet new life mm. shall come. Awesome. Beautiful. And I realized just by the grace of God walking through the campus that God revealed his Catholic faith through oh, nature amazing. to me. And that was, so that so was the moment that I knew that I wasn't going to be able to run away from my faith anymore.
1: What's intriguing about that, and thanks for sharing that, because I'm mm-hmm. with you. I'm feeling it. I'm experiencing it. I'm hoping any of you who are out there listening and you find whether it's your fists or just your body, you're so clenching because you're gripped with a sense of Of control and and relying on yourself, that just that surrender, knowledgeable of who you are in God, who he made you to be, his grace is pressing in on us. And that was Joe's experience, and I know it's a life experience, but I, I, I love you drawing me back to that moment. But for our listeners also, what's intriguing is back then on this campus, the experience of Catholicism was rather anemic. So the Eucharist, robust, full, we got it. Source and Summit in faith, we didn't have focus. We didn't have these groups that, you know, fostered in Catholic-specific contexts vitality, encounter, conversation, virtue. None of that, at least from my experience, was present. And yet, and if you're, I don't know if you're referring more to like the Campus Crusade guys or whatever, I was profoundly blessed by a number of those brothers. I mentioned Mm -hmm. Carl Seabacher. You and I mentioned a couple names the other day of guys who leaned in, and loved and opened up that horizon for us and I need to punctuate it open up the horizon of the relationship that has always been part of the Catholic faith but for whatever reason somewhere along the line we became stodgy we became reliant on just the externals and ritual without relationship religion without relationship (laughs) and so we're much further down the road now in recovering that awakening that this is the heart of the gospel and the Catholic church as Augustine said all that is true is ours these brothers and sisters were communicating a truth that is distinctly Catholic that I think you and I kind of had to grapple with that to a certain degree too, and many might also today. I don't think you have any thoughts on that before we go to lovely Christy.
3: Uh, that is a, a great summation of those days, and it's true that, um, that at the time uh, we didn't have as much exciting praise and worship and um, the expressive nature of our faith was behind the times. Um, but at the same time, as, as you and I both, I think, delve deeper and deeper into our faith, we pr- I came to the realization that, well, it's a 2,000-year-old um, mm. uh, treasure chest of mm-hmm. beliefs. It's not going to move at the same speed as our modern culture. Mm-hmm. And I came to accept that and decided I wanted to be part of... Um, you know, a, a, a group of young people that was going to continue to believe and continue to try to grow the church um, into the into the new millennium. Mm. And that's what I think that, that you ended up doing and me you know, on, on separate paths as we Entered into the real world.
1: Amen. Well, it was a remnant, and for others to hear this who may feel this right now, wondering where is the vitality, which, again, I think today we have Crisios, Chirps, Damascus. There's no excuse not to experience a vitality that is fully and richly Catholic. Um, But for anybody right now, I do think it was an awakening that, that we are church, and that our friendships and our conversations and our praying together and our late night visits to the chapels that was just organic and real had a sense, much like I suspect the early the apostolic age, surrounded by danger moral danger threats challenges which reinforced our sense of identity and i have to say this at least i experienced it you know with the pro-life movement and the rich faith that was woven into that and many who weren't catholic but many were the beacon of light that it was that radiated through the entire campus that touched many many people that taught us how to love those who are different from us and the attraction that that was to so many of those people i remember us gathering frequently and talking about the head of that group or the head of that group that had are the, polar opposite of Catholic faith and belief, but we would sit down and get to know these people and come back with the delight of how mm-hmm. it penetrated into their lives and uh, how they experienced that love. So I'm just really blessed right now by this portrait and maybe those who are listening invigorated by maybe somebody you're working with right now, a family member who maybe is polar opposite politically or spiritually or emotionally that God gave them to us to love.
2: Awesome. So, Christy, give us a little bit about your background and your growing up years.
4: Okay, so I grew up in a very Catholic family, and um, from the time I started high school, I got very involved in search retreats, which mm-hmm. I don't know if they're anywhere other than Cleveland, but mm-hmm. I spent all four years of my high school years um, involved in these being on team um, probably four times a year. And my faith was number one in my life as much as I knew at that point. And I knew that when I went off to college, I, my faith was going to be a top,
0: mm-hmm.
4: um, a top priority. And I started at one university and found that it, I was not able to find a good community mm-hmm. to fall into. And so my second semester of um, freshman year, I transferred to Franciscan University and absolutely loved it. As we all know, it's a very vibrant mm-hmm. place, and I learned about the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and I just feel so blessed that I was able to experience that power and the gift, the outpouring, but... I think what really drew me even deeper into my faith was the pro-life movement. Mm -hmm. I honestly did not know a whole lot about it. I obviously knew that abortion was a terrible evil, um, but coming to Franciscan, we learned so much more, and there was an active pro-life group. I became involved in um, the campus pro-life group, and we would go every weekend to the abortion mm-hmm. clinic and pray, and there was a, a group of us that, back then Operation Rescue was a thing, mm-hmm. and for those that may not know what that is, people would block the abortion clinic doors, mm-hmm. and most of the time end up getting arrested, um, even put into jail mm-hmm. overnight or mm-hmm. for a few days. A lot of people experience a lot longer jail time. but. I was involved in that somewhat radical number of students that would go and block the abortion clinics, and we would spend time in jail overnight, um, and we once in a while even had opportunity to minister to either the police or other inmates or prison workers and talk to them about Jesus. and. And, and the pro-life movement. So that definitely ramped up my faith. And obviously being with a lot of other Catholic people, but as you talked about with Joe, we were involved with a lot of evangelical friends, and the faith that I found in them were so inspiring to us. And realizing that Catholics weren't the only ones that had truth they had truth. we have we believe we we have the fullness of truth but I learned so much from them mm-hmm. and um, I guess I could fast forward then
1: to senior year of college let me pause right you before let me, that let me pause you oh, a second Christy just my heart swells with a delight and joy at the meeting of two superstars who would be your parents Victor and I believe your mom's name is Janet correct Pat. Pat, okay. Well, well tell me yes, I got Pat. this wrong, but did they tool around in an R V at all the pro life events? Did you guys uh,
4: they did come to a few of them. Okay. I don't know if they brought the R V, that's hard to remember back then, but um okay. they well, my, definitely
1: did. Well my recollection knowing your dad in greater particularity was the delight and the joy that they exuded all the time. Your dad, in fact, facilitated the very first regional Human Life International conference by brokering with us. I was in out of Miami working for Human Life International and the first regional event was in Columbus and your dad, very I'm sorry, Cleveland, was very connected, which was where Bud McFarland introduced his tapes and his dad and Father Larry was the first one and the Mary Foundation was born. So just the seeds of your dad's facilitating that and obviously being into your home a couple times, the comfort level of talking faith and pro-life stuff. I do recall that. And, uh, of course, your, your beloved godfather, the former governor and senator, George Voinovich, if I have that correct. Probably wrong, but who um, knows? Take a shot.
4: Yeah, <laughs> your that's uncle. Okay. Yeah, that's my uncle, right.
1: So anyways, you come from a family that um, definitely imparted upon you a richness of faith and how important that is. So take us forward Absolutely. to the senior year then.
4: So right before, it was August before my senior year in college, I was invited, and I don't remember if it was you or Nathan, but I know your whole family had um, invited me to go to a tech retreat, and I drove to the tech retreat and sat in the car in the middle of a, um, a neighborhood that I found myself in that I wasn't used to finding myself in.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And I just sat there, and I was terrified going in not knowing anybody other than whatever sweeter happened to be on the <laughs> retreat. There are many of us. And, a, and a, a strange man came out and asked me if he could take my, my luggage in. And I said, you know, I don't think I'm going to stay. And before I could even... Um, protest too much. He grabbed my bag out of the car and um, and locked me in. And that strange man is now my my beloved husband. Uh, but uh, so he was my table leader on the retreat, and we our table was was wonderful. I don't remember a whole lot of details other than being very touched and moved by the love and the and the spirit of the of the retreat and definitely loved it enough to make the decision to be on the team for the October retreat, which meant that every Sunday I would be driving back home to go to a retreat meeting. And Joe happened to be on the, on the team also. Of course. And so he drove from Miami every weekend to go to the team retreat and we got to know each other and got closer. And by the time the retreat was actually happening. Um, we knew there was a, a definite connection between mm-hmm. us. And shortly after the retreat, we started dating. And um,
1: So I have to back you up, because yeah. we got to go female on this a little bit. Go ahead, Steph.
2: I'm just going to interrupt quickly for our listeners in this area. They may be familiar with, t- with tech um, solely as a high school program. And it's uh, gender, single gender, right? Separate. Whereas the Cleveland Tech is intergenerational. I believe it. You mm-hmm. could make it as a junior in high school, yep. all the way through ninety plus. <laughs> so there were, yeah. Um, it, it was a it was a beautiful opportunity of just the um, intergenerational blessing yeah. of intergenerational ministry and just the power that it was. And I need to do a shout out to Bernie and Judy Schlieder our dear people. mom and dad, that they... Oh, we love you, Bernie and Judy. Yay! <laughs> so they brought the tech program from Wisconsin to the Cleveland area. And so during that time, too, that that we're speaking about, it was really growing and vibrant and was a real catalyst in... Um, just igniting people's faith across the board of generations
1: just a quick um additional note for those who didn't know this stephanie and diane and father larry richards brought it from the cleveland area to start the one in erie pa and that's before i even knew stephanie So the interconnectedness. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, so I got to go to the female part, uh, Christy, and ask you, okay, you won in this retreat. It ended up being powerful. You met this guy, Joe. I remember Joe coming back, and we would always enjoy when all these people we'd send to the tech retreat, came back to Miami because we sent them in herds, and it really fortified our own community there, which was really awesome at Miami of Ohio and any place collegians went, which was really cool. So, I mean... Just spell, you know, maybe trace for us a little bit about how that played out to the point of kind of knowing, and maybe because I'm, I'm, I think a lot of people may ask the question, you know, what is dating about in relationships? We have this built-in attraction thing, and how did, how are you blessed by the maturation of your relationship? Wow, well, side oh. his side, her I would side. say
4: that. <laughs> What?
1: Nothing. I'm, I'm teasing.
4: Oh, okay. <laughs> so when we ended up, when Joe and I ended up on the retreat team, um, the planning meetings are somewhat, were somewhat intense in that we were sharing a lot about ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, our whole team. As anybody that, without giving away too much of it, there's basically two teams that put on mm-hmm. each um, tech retreat and we were on one of the two teams together and we shared a lot about our our life and we had very similar well exact morals and values and that was very attractive to me to hear a man talk like that. Of course, I had met a lot of those people at Steubenville, but there was something about this man he was very intelligent, he was very um, open to talk about his faith and the important things in life, and he was very kind and sensitive towards me, and we knew, we both knew by the end of the retreat that there was a connection, mm-hmm. and then um, I think I visited him the first time, don't so okay. you remember? Okay. He had invited me to come to Miami and visit him. This was shortly after the retreat. And we had talked and definitely solidified in our discussion Mm -hmm. that we were both attracted to each other and we wanted to pursue a relationship. Neither of us believed in just recreational dating just Mm -hmm. um, for the fun of it. We both knew that... um, we wanted the Lord to be in the center of our relationship, mm. and
1: you know, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll kind of please uh, do dive in the, the Joe I, side. I, I,
3: one of the things that I have, I haven't uh, mentioned uh, the power the experience of returning to my faith was so powerful that um, I opened myself up to all possible avenues, including a possible life in the um, uh, in the priesthood, mm-hmm. and so from the time. Actually, from the time of the March for Life in 1990 until I met Christy, I was exploring all sorts of religious orders and checking out to see, and I I had opened myself as much as I could at the time. Even the Jesuits. I I don't know how mature. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I don't know if I felt like I was smart enough to be a Jesuit, but I was looking at the Oblates, and if you you know Father McAleer, Mm -hmm. um, went out and spent time at his novitiate house and looked at the diocesan seminaries and things like that. And, you know, I, at the end of this process, at the end of graduating college, um, you know, it was time to make a decision. So I spent a full week down at the Trappist Monastery in Kentucky mm-hmm. to pray and discern mm-hmm. to awesome. be sure that, um, that if I, you know, picked up and moved five, you know, four and a half hours away from my home to, um, to spend more time getting to know Christy, that it was the right thing to do. And, you know, I really, after three and a half days in silence, I was able to hear God's voice, and He very clearly said, "You know, to go and to that that I could serve Him as as priest, prophet, and king by being a good husband and Mm -hmm. father." In fact, I found an old dusty manuscript, and it it was from the forties or the thirties, and it talked about how a father and a family raises them up to the altar and helps them offer themselves to God fully, and all the different roles that a father has ministering to his family and I realized that the call in my heart was uh, just as much to family as it was to serving others in fact it was a great expression of serving others and and that would be a, a good preview of, of what our, our marriage has become and, and the ministry that, that we're moving into. At this time in our
1: life, that's awesome. So, we could do many, many episodes with both of you with such um, grace and wisdom that you communicate your life story. And I know these points of contact. I hope that all of our listeners, as we are moved by the awareness of God's appointing and his anointing when we follow his way, that even if it's not crystal clear, if we're doing his thing and we're praying into it and, and um, staying uh, united in the sacraments that he blesses us. So, I'm going to fast forward us quickly with the time that we have left. You now have eight beautiful children. Tell me I have that right. I think.
4: You I can I just interject something. Absolutely here? you
1: can. It's
4: the biggest the biggest part of um our faith journey right now. I just have to say a court With our eight children, our oldest entered the seminary right after high school, and then our second oldest went to the University of Akron and had, she had the experience, much like you and Joe were talking about, you had at Mm -hmm. um, Miami, Miami, where it was a public university, but she really um, stood up and helped out a lot with the Newman organization and really brought a true Catholic culture to that secular university. And watching each one of our kids after, our third child is very involved in music ministry and is now a music director of a parish here in Cleveland. And then the younger ones, every one of them, and I I don't want this to come across at all as being... Of bragging, because believe me, it's, we know, this Joe proclamation. and I both know, it's all grace, it's proclamation. all mercy. But our kids have brought us to a much, they have held us to a higher standard, mm. have made us want to seek the Lord so much more and find ways to minister and find ways to proclaim His goodness to all the world. I, I just have to say that if we didn't have them, we wouldn't be the people that we are today. Having those kids and watching their example fast forwarded us so much, so much
1: further. Christy, I love to hear you proclaim that, and it's, it's, it's important to proclaim that. We in this area, of course, we know the challenges of parenthood, but um, absolutely, when you impart this atmosphere in our own homes of love and encounter, and they discover their greatest self, and they're living it vibrantly and fully, and yes, there's the challenges, but if, that be, if that's the first and most important thing, to get them to heaven and to experience a taste of it here on earth, yeah. there's nothing... There's nothing more delightful. I've said to Stephanie uh, numerous times that when I've had conversations with friends from college or business in the past, and they ask how things are going, and generally they answer the question in terms of how much money they're making or what what uh, advancement <laughs> they got, promotion or whatever. You know, I could lose, and I mean this with the grace of God. At each moment, needing that grace, I could lose everything. So long as I know that I'm kindred with my wife in God's appointing and anointing in our children and to see them, regardless of where God leads them, flourishing authentically from his heart, being the people God created them to be. And I'll say, when I saw your whole family, probably the first time at Encounter... I was just
2: going to mention Go ahead, that. Steph. Well, no, I just want to give due acknowledgement. Yes, count it all grace, right? Um, Yeah. Yes. Yes. And yes. But I think we also need as parents to proclaim the hard work also to remain faithful to our parental call, because so many people I know when our kids were little, and I'm sure you guys have gotten this, it was like, oh, you're so lucky that they're this, this or this. And I'm like, Yes, it's grace for sure. Huge acknowledgement and hand high in the air for that praise. Yes. But it's a lot of work, right? You know, to it is a lot of to work to remain faithful to that call. So I just want to acknowledge that it doesn't just happen. It's cooperating with that grace, which is a grace, <laughs> I guess. But also it, just proclaiming. I, I resonate so much with that. How our kids, as you're describing, should call us to a higher standard if you know we're we're living how we're supposed to be right we love the jp2 quote about you know families become who you are right mm-hmm. it's imaging the trinity yeah. and it really is just embracing our identity as you know, son and daughter of God and family united in the Trinity in that love. And the importance of providing that environment as families, as, you know, declaring things as mother, as father, as husband, as wife, to allow that to flourish there. And again, we know it's not perfect. We know that there are many, you know, sins and failings and frustrations and typical family stuff. But, you know, like Greg always says, let our ceiling be your floor. And I have to say as I cut Greg off that we were blessed to see you even just for a little bit at the recent encounter conference here in Toledo. And I just want to say that your witness and proclamation of the Lord's grace just by your presence there as a family was so powerful and fun. And fun. <laughs> for yeah. sure. And fun, for yeah. sure. But I think we we underestimate, you know, the value of the witness, yes, a large, beautiful family, but family in general, doing something of faith together and declaring it and, you know, the sincerity and um, authenticity of what your family exudes is just so beautiful and so powerful. So praise the Lord for your cooperation with all that and the beautiful um, witness that each
1: of your kids are. So I want to get really practical here with the time that we have you and I know, and all the families we're united with, and many of our families here have been to the Apostolate for family consecration. We'll get to that very shortly, and we want to build an even more vital connection. We want to state that because for this reason, our children will be formed, and we in our marriages and those dating and engaged, we will be formed. The question is, will it be by God or not God? And people may think this is a little edgy or insensitive, but if it's not God, it's going to be of Satan. The word literally means adversary. And it's not just this highfalutin, moral high ground. We all fall far from it, but we're not going to erase that line because we struggle with it. It's still the truth, and we see the sociological data bear out if we're not going to make our places, our homes, that place of encounter. And for folks who are listening, you know exactly what I mean. We've been in these conversations for decades. It's not enough to send our kids to Catholic schools. Or, you know, whether it's grade school or high school or beyond, the influence that we have as parents is, is under attack right now. And it requires all the more that we as parents make our homes that place of encounter. So I'm going to ask you guys, I know what you do in your home, but what is some encouragement, specific points of encouragement that you want to speak to parents and grandparents listening right now of what is critical for many of them to reclaim that culture, but the culture that they have to even deepen it. So to reclaim it, what challenges are they going to face, what should they do, and to deepen it? What advice do you have?
3: I would say from a practical standpoint, um, you know, in the apostolate, we believe the first step is uh, you have to claim the home territory. Mm. Um, In the past, the wisdom of the Church was to consecrate your home to the Sacred Heart. Uh, We in the apostolate... Uh, do so, but we also include the rest of the Holy Family, which images the Trinity. So in every apostolate member's home or anyone who wants to be uh, influenced by the apostolate, we have a portrait of the Holy Family. The image of the Holy Family that was revealed to Sister Lucia in the final apparition of Fatima, the Mm -hmm. miracle of the sun, everyone, all the hundreds of thousands of people, they saw the sun coming towards the earth, but the three children, what they saw was an image of the Holy Family Mm -hmm. with St. Joseph, Holding his right hand up leading his arm around the Blessed Mother uh, and also helping hold hold the child Jesus um, and and his heart exposed and Mary also her sacred heart, her Immaculate Heart exposed. This image is an image of the Trinity focused on the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: And when we consecrate our homes to that, we elevate that image above the television, above all the other images in the home. And we say, this house will serve the Lord. Mm. And our heart is going to be one with Jesus Christ. So you start by consecrating your home. Mm. You make it a place of prayer. If you can, you don't beat yourself up. You don't beat yourself up if you cannot, but you try to say the daily rosary. And then, you know, live a Catholic life. Mm. You begin to reach out to others. You invite others into your home you go to others in, in service, you find ways to serve others, you get out of the Dead Sea and you become a flow-through mm-hmm. because it's only then when the Spirit is flowing through you that you get to keep it. You've got to give it away if you're going to keep it. Mm-hmm. And those are the first few practical things. In the case of the Apostolate for Family Consecration, the Catholic Family Land, we believe it's important for the family um, to take a pilgrimage, to go somewhere, and be with other Catholic families, mm-hmm. in this case, in the summer. There's other conferences. There's other places. You can go to the Encounter Conference, for example, as we did this, this uh, recently, the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th of January. Um, but Catholic Family Land is a place set apart for such a purpose. Mm-hmm. So we invite families to come all summer long. There's week-long family fests, and you make a pilgrimage. It's a sacrifice. You go there. And you live in a cabin. It's a little rustic, um, but it's a blast. And mm-hmm. kids play with other kids that are like-minded. Adults can mix with others who are committed to the faith. And by um, coming to this event, um, it's almost like um, you know Mary, um, Joseph, and Jesus get you know getting on the donkey to go back to Bethlehem to be counted every year. Mm-hmm. There's a certain grace mm-hmm. that comes with making the sacrifice and heading to a place like Bloomingdale. Um, I'm not sure there's any other place like it in the world, Mm. but it's a practical step Mm -hmm. in forming your kids in the faith. I know that after the first time that our family went to Catholic family land, um, the the following year, we had a limited budget, and we lived in Cleveland, so we had the opportunity to purchase season passes to Geauga Lake, which at the time also was Cedar Point, Mm or we had enough money to go to Catholic Family Land for one week, and at the time we had six kids. So individually we asked them one at a time, would you prefer to have a season pass to the amusement park all year long and all fall, mm. or would you like to go to Family Land? And one after another, when we cornered them, they said absolutely, we want to go back to Family Land.
2: That's awesome. That's awesome, a great awesome. test. I couldn't
3: believe that, great. but it told me everything I needed to know about what our kids needed in their life. They needed those friends that believed something, mm-hmm. something greater than themselves. And it turned out, over the years, that that one week, that one experience with other like-minded Catholic individuals was
1: enough to give them positive peer pressure to last mm-hmm. all year long. That's mm-hmm. awesome. And they became a force for good because of it. So folks, AFC.org is where you want to go to find out more about this Catholic Family Land Apostolate for Family Consecration. Again, AFC, apostolateforfamilyconsecration.org. So, Joe, you and Christy... Um, give witness to the Trinity because that's your identity and you're endeavoring to live it out fully. And you're, we, we talked about the fact that we will be formed, and it, it's either going to be, as Stephanie said, in accord with who we are or against who we are. We can't make that up. Truth is not something we can create. He's someone who created us. My son Dominic, you talk about the influence of our children and our lives, and for us it is very robust, but he's been reading some pretty awesome books on his own. Our 14 year old is a voracious runner and uh, just a good hearted kid. Anyways, he's. He's introduced to me two book, good books, but one of them I want to mention called Tribe. Nothing about the faith, nothing about spirituality at all. It basically describes from a sociological perspective how, fam- how how happiness occurs by this meaningful integration in one another's lives, and how depression has increased substantially as we've seen the disintegration of communion dare we say as you say holy communion holy community the loss of holy community more forms of connection than ever before in history and the highest depression suicide rates that have ever been recorded in history and what does that mean that means we've been made in the image of uh, the Trinity, to have this mutual um, times of connecting. So one thing I would add, and just your thoughts on this also, is families need to be given permission to rediscover that delight and joy of communication with one another. And step one, certainly as you say, that consecration, make the time. Make the time to set aside everything. And as we say, just for 45 minutes, can you do it for 45 minutes? Can you bring your family together for meaningful talking and praying? And I'll say to you and to our audience, we know they want to. We know they've been in the Cursillos and Chirps and texts and all of this. But so many of them are so beleaguered because they they feel they've lost, I don't know, the the appointing by God to say, hey, guys, Thursday, there's nothing going on. We're going to gather together. Little commercial here again to go to I Love My us. But even that little step of doing that is extremely difficult for many families today. Tell us some success stories, maybe, as you in your neck of the woods have experienced families go from disintegration to greater unity.
4: Well, one thing that I, I would say that we learned early on from the Apostolate for Family Consecration, the founder always said, that what sets the families whose children leave the church versus the families whose children stay in the church, the difference is being families for others. Mm.
0: Oh,
4: I love that. And there are many ways, certainly, that we can get our families together to pray together, and that is so important. But it's also important to reach out as a family to other families. And we made it a point to be very involved in our parish, whether it was the summer carnival or a winter fest or um, we had a Divine Mercy Sunday presentation that our family put together, just different things through the years. But even more importantly, we would just invite other families to our homes. Mm-hmm. And we tried, we would, we would do probably weekly And then we'd fall apart and then we would start doing it again and having families. I mean, just because things fall apart temporarily doesn't mean you can't pick up and and do it again. But through the years, we've made it a point to have families over and we would have, um, we would do family rosary and then we would do formation, primarily for the adults, just learning more about our faith so that we could teach it to our kids. And all the kids would just play together. Mm-hmm. And then we would all come together at the end for a final prayer, and then there would be snacks and lots of kids running around.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: But Beautiful. if you aren't involved in your community as a family and bringing other families to you, then, like Joe said, it's like the Dead Sea. Mm-hmm. It's just important to, to share what the, what the Lord has given us with other people.
2: Amen. And I think as, for as good and imp, as important as separate ministries can be for men or for women, et cetera, I think sometimes those can pull us away from the family mm-hmm. because we're involved in this and this and this, and that's the beauty of family ministry. And even family ministry in your own home, as you're saying, Christy, bringing other families there and growing together because you're able to be together. And most importantly, I think, for your children to experience that community and environment together is so wonderful and grace-filled.
1: Folks, you're tuned into Ignite Radio Live, and we're so blessed to have dear friends of ours, Joe and Christy Menkhaus. Joe is the Executive Vice President for the Apostolate for Family Consecration. I believe that's a totally volunteer position. Is that right, Joe? Yes, I'm a hazmat avenger
3: by day and a postulate guy by night.
2: (laughs) I
1: love it. Do you wear a mask? Anyways, um, no. It's, it, you know, the beauty of hearing you guys speak and for our audience who hear, who've heard us now for over five years is our desiring to live our nature and our identity and doing the things that you speak about, the portrait that you paint. So for anybody who's listening, we didn't know to this extent that Joe and Christy um, have been so moved by the same spirit to respond in similar ways, to make their homes that place and to reach out to other families. And I just want to say this, as you're hearing right now, that may seem intangible to many of you, whether because you don't feel it's shared by your spouse or because you feel you just haven't done this and your kids are too far gone or what does it look like or, hey, that's over the top, we're good enough, we go to math. I don't know what your obstacle may be, but let me say this, we all have them. And the image is one of the Holy Spirit pouring into us with the force of a Niagara Falls. Think about that. We never are full. God wants to, f- to pour it into our lives. We're about to face this Lenten season. And the question is, what obstacles can we get out of the way? And for many of us, it's going to be using our discretionary time in ways that is not edifying, in ways that's not going to leave us next week all the further ahead. And so um, we ask you guys to join us on this journey, those of you who are listening, to take the step with other families together to know that you've got to lean into it. If we don't stretch... We don't grow, so check it out again at ILoveMyFamily.us, and uh, let's grow together in this way through this uh, these weeks of, of Lent, leading into the Easter season, with something permanent, a greater awakening to our nature, and to discover those relationships that may be have been dormant. So let's just close in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My heart, Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, you made us for yourself. You fashioned us to give witness to you who are the Trinity in our relationships. Flood us with the grace to overflow in our marriages and families and overflowing to this world. For your glory, through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.